Good morning. I, th I think uh, sometimes it's good just to remind us what we're doing here in the room. Justin's done that. Like we're joining heaven and what's going to happen for eternity, right? Uh, and what, what I get to do right now is uh, not stand up as a man who's worthy of anything apart from Christ, right? Uh, I get to stand up right now not as someone who knows a whole lot of wisdom and so I'm going to impart to you some great something from me. Uh, I get to point your attention towards the inspired word of God that points us to the one that we just sang to, the Son of God. And hopefully the Spirit of God can empower this moment to do something that I can't on my own. And... Uh, uh, yeah, no, Justin just prayed, but I want to invite you to pray with me again. Uh, uh, God, you are worthy. Uh, and God, I, I just pray in the name of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, that you'd help us know how to respond to what you've done. Uh, as we uh, open again the book of Romans and we continue our journey, uh, we're going to see practical application today, uh, specifically even around how we respond to political leaders. But we can't do that apart from remembering again what Jesus has done for us. This is, this is after what you inspired Paul to write in the first 11 chapters that we are sinners. Uh, we, all of us, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the righteousness of God has been revealed to us through the gospel. And we deserved punishment for our sin, but you made him who knew no sin. You sent Jesus, while we were yet sinners, to take the penalty we deserved for our sin. We praise you for that, God. And for those of us who know Christ, you, you've, you, you've said in the first, again, 10 chapters of, that it's a faith. We confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, in which we've just sung that. We, we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We can be saved. God, thank you for the, the hope of salvation and eternal life where we get to be casting our crowns before you. But we want that to, we want to taste it now, the abundant life in Christ. Now, Lord, this side of heaven. And we know that you've given us your spirit so that we can start to walk with you here and now. And God, we do, we feel the world is broken. Uh, and even as, as Paul's going to speak in chapter 13 uh, about political leaders, uh, there's so much happening in our world right now. We, we feel the shadows deepen. But the hope of the world is Christ, and we have him. The, the hope is not in the White House, it's, it's in Jesus. And we have him. So God, help us as Christians respond in a way the world can't. Empowered by your spirit during this time, our country needs Christians now more than ever. So help us see what your word says today. God, again, help me. Help me to help uh, your people today that you love. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, uh, if you're a first-time guest here today, please give us another chance. I'm sorry, I don't cry all the time. Uh, I, I will say I'm just so thankful to get to be part of this church. Justin mentioned the last five weeks have been sweet. You need to know my family. We, there's no other place on the planet that we'd rather be than right now, right here with y'all, learning to respond to what Jesus has done and looking forward as we missionally bring the gospel to the world. All right. I got I to gotta bring it together. Uh, yeah, I know I just said if you're a guest here today. We actually have right now in another room in our church, we have uh, some 64 uh, new adults walking through the Discover First class. Represents almost 40 households. A lot of more kids will be joining us for lunch. Uh, the reason I bring that up is I am bringing back to guests. If you're a guest and you want to know more of who we are as a church, uh, don't just listen to a pastor cry. Uh, you can text... Uh, guests to 96123, and we'd love to walk you through what they're going through right now. So we're in a journey through Romans chapter 13. Paul's going to talk about political leaders and how Christians are to respond. Uh, before we jump into it, I don't think I have to go long here. In my own living room, in the last few months, I've had conversations with neighbors that have gone to politics, and as I listen to the discussion, I start praying, saying, Lord, what am I supposed to say next? Anyone else been there? Okay, not just neighbors. Let's, let's even get more personal. Friends. Can, can I even get any more personal? In our church that love Jesus, that I disagree with. And we have a conversation, and I'm thinking, what am I supposed to say next, God? Let's, let's get even closer to home. My family, not, not my immediate, my, my extended family, conversations in my own living room that go to political leaders, and me not knowing, Lord, what is it that I'm supposed to do next? Y'all felt this? Like... Uh, Jim Dennison, uh, a blogger that I read regularly, and another blogger I read regularly, Carrie Newhoff, uh, in the last two weeks, wrote about the potential of civil war in our country. Uh, here's a few stats from a very recent study. 66% currently in the U.S. believe political divisions have gotten worse since the beginning of 21 when I thought that was the worst it would ever get, right? 62% expect political divisions to get even worse in the future. 43% believe a civil war is at least somewhat likely in the next decade. I don't say this to scare you. I just say this to acknowledge there's an issue, right? This fall, midterm elections, what do Christians do? In my prayer, I already reminded you the context of what Paul's about to say is the mercies of God. He spent 11 chapters talking about what God has done for us through Christ. Chapter 12, he says, okay, in view of God's mercy, how are we to offer our bodies as living sacrifices now? Uh, it's our spiritual asset. We're, we're not to be conformed to the world. We're, we're supposed to look different than the world as Christians. We're just supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. What does that look like? 
Well, chapter 12, he talks about the radical love that's supposed to be in the church for believers. We're, we're to abhor evil, we're to love good, and we're to love one another, we're, we're to outdo one another with showing honor. And then he talks about love for those that are not in the church, not the, our enemies maybe some would consider outside the walls. What are we supposed to, we're, we're supposed to overcome evil with good by loving them also. And so then chapter 13, verse 1, here's where we are. Y'all stand with me as I read the Word of God. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. God help. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This passage, I believe, has been one of the most abused passages in the history of the church. Maybe better said, it has been a passage that has led to the approval of abuse, maybe more than any other passage in the history of the church. This passage was taught rampantly throughout Germany when Hitler was in power to the church. Are we supposed to just open this passage and read it blindly? Here's what I want to invite you to do. Uh, there was quite the response to our Q&A podcast this summer, and so we're going to continue for a season, at least right now in it, if it continues to be helpful. But if you want to ask questions related to this text as we watch, walk through it, we want to invite you to text the word QUESTION to 96123. Again, the word QUESTION to 96123. And then we are going to record a response to some of your questions this week, and then we'll post it online. But this is, again, a heated passage. Remember, Paul is writing to the church in Rome that had kicked all of the Jews out recently, would persecute Christians was incredibly corrupt. Some say, well, maybe he was writing to Jewish 
religious political authorities. And I would say it wasn't much better if you were talking about Christians and Jews. If you think there are tensions between the church right now in America and our government, I would tell you it was worse then. In light of that, as Paul writes to the church about how to respond to government leaders, I want to show you a what, a why, and how. What he's going to call us to do, responding to government leaders, why, and how. We're going to spend most of our time on the how, because he spends most of his time on how. Y'all with me? I also want to teach it to you a little bit in the context of all of Scripture. What? Well, what he's going to tell us to do is he's going to tell us to place ourselves under government leaders. That's what he's going to call the church to do. Verse 13, 1. Don't write off the Bible yet. Let every person be subject. Your translation, NIV, NLT, and a few others use the word. What? Anybody want to say the word? What's the word there? Submit. Let every person be subject to or submit to the governing authorities. The word there, subject or submit, is actually a military term. And it was something that was told to the person who was in the army that they were to do to themselves. It is a command and it's a middle imperative, which means it's something you're supposed to do to yourself. You're supposed to place yourself under the authority that's over you. That's literally what he's saying. Paul says, let every person be subject. What are you supposed to do? Place yourself under the government leaders to the governing authorities. Paul, really? Y'all know this is all over Scripture? Uh, Jesus, if you're in the Bible reading plan with us, uh, Monday's when I first start really digging deep into the passage I'm going to teach that week. And Monday, our Bible reading, I was like, okay, God, you're, you're hitting me with this everywhere. But Jesus has a conversation with the Jewish leaders that were trying to trap him, saying, are we supposed to pay our taxes or not? Because they knew whatever he said was going to be the wrong answer for the Jewish audience. And Jesus asked for a coin. Y'all remember this story? He looks at the coin and he says, uh, well, whose head's on the coin? And they said, well, Caesar's. And he says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar, his coin. His likeness is on the coin. And then he said, give to God what is God's. Who's made in God's likeness? We are. He was saying, yes, pay taxes to Caesar, but pay your worship to God. Jesus even said, place yourself under the government leaders. He taught it in other different ways. Interestingly, in the scripture, we're never commanded to vote. We are commanded in scripture to place ourselves under the elected leaders. Anybody want to leave? Why? That's the what. Why? Well, the what was place yourself under government leaders. The why, he will tell us, God has put government leaders in their place. By the way, I think you should vote. 
And I think there's places in the Bible that lead you to believe you should vote. But he says here, the why is God has put the government leaders in their place. Keep second half of verse 1. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur, what's that word? What? Well, Paul, clearly you've not seen what's going on in our country today. Hey, let me just say, again, step out larger context. The church resisted the government leaders. Uh, the, the very statement, Jesus is Lord, by the early church, was saying, Caesar is not the ultimate authority. Jesus is. At that point in time, they would say, Caesar is Lord. The church didn't say Caesar is Lord. The church said, Jesus is Lord. But yet, they still placed themselves under this corrupt leader. What is, Why? Well, God, they believe, put these leaders in place. They also, you look at throughout Scripture, God would put leaders in place. This is all over Scripture. David would not touch the Lord's anointed. I remember that growing up. It was one of those stories that just jumped out to me. Saul's trying to kill David over and over and over again. And as a kid, I kept thinking, David, you're the great warrior. Take him out. But he would not take out the Lord's anointed. You all know that story. Jesus before Pilate. John chapter 19, we're going to read this in our Bible reading in a few days. Says to Pilate, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Christians understand that God is the one in ultimate authority and God actually orchestrates who's an authority here on earth. Now sometimes those authorities here on earth do bad things, but God accomplishes actually good through their bad things. You look at Egypt, you look at Babylon in the Old Testament. There were corrupt leaders. Did God want them? To, God didn't lead them into corruption, but God actually used them when they were corrupt. What? I think of you reign above it all, you reign above it all. Right, we just sang? Or we're going to sing maybe in a little bit. So what does this mean? Are we to blindly obey the government? How are we supposed to respond? I'm glad you asked. Paul's going to tell us. Here we go. How, how do we place ourselves under government leaders that God has put in place if God's really the one in ultimate authority? First thing out of three, he's going to tell us to do good. I want you to notice he's not going to say to do what they say. He's going to say do good. Verse 3, he says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. He is going to argue that basically the first thing you need to do as you're placing yourself under is you need to do good. And, and really throughout the history of the world, even the corrupt government of Rome and it, in our country, 
the vast majority of good things that you are going to do are going to be rewarded. You know that? You do wrong is when you get yourself in trouble the vast majority of the time. Not all the time. So he says, do good and you will receive his approval. Verse 4, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath. Interesting. Midweek, before I noticed the overlap between this and what he says in chapter, I'd never seen this before. Chapter 12 is where he says, do not avenge. Remember, God, he says, vengeance is mine, I say the Lord. He says it in chapter 12 a little different way. Don't, don't, don't try to get even with your enemy. And then in chapter thir- uh, 13, he starts by saying the government's the one that's going to do that for you. <laughs> Interesting. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. What does this mean? Are we supposed to do what just the government tells you to do? He's no, he says actually do what is good is what he, the imperative command. Verse 3, do what is good. Verse 5, therefore one must be in subjection, placing yourself under, not only to avoid, notice, God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Notice, notice what he t- turns to here in verse 5. That there is something that should direct what we do. It is knowing that there is judgment coming from God and there's a conscience that God has given us in our own life. Now, here's what I want to do with this verse because I think it's implied here, but it's also all over Scripture. Paul just just doesn't blatantly teach it here. We obey the government unless the government calls us to disobey God. If the, God, if, if, if the government is calling us to do something that is going to bring God's wrath or is against our conscience, we disobey the government, not God. Amen. Now, this is all over Scripture also. One of the examples was last night in our home with our little girl. Uh, my, my oldest daughter last night was first ever, yeah, I can't even say this, homecoming dance. I'm like, hello, I'm an old man. So my youngest was with us, and we went through the story of Daniel. You know the story of Daniel? story of Daniel, Darius, King Darius, makes this command as people are trying to catch him. King Darius makes this command, you are to pray only to me for 30 days and 30 nights. What does Daniel do? Daniel disobeys the government leader in order to obey God. This is consistent in scripture also we are to recognize that we are to place ourselves under government leaders because God has put them in their place Daniel actually talks about it twice in Daniel that God puts leaders in their place but if the leader calls us to disobey God we recognize that God's wrath is going to come and we have a conscience we disobey the government not God we do good so how do we submit to government leaders? How do we place ourselves under the government leaders that God has put in place? We do good. Uh, another specific example of that, I just told you Old Testament, New Testament, Acts chapter 5. Peter and the apostles were preaching the gospel. The Sanhedrin brings them to get together, the ones in, con- in charge, and they command them to no longer speak in the name of Jesus. And you know what they say? Peter, it says, and the apostles say, we will obey God rather than man. 
okay? What are they doing? They're actually doing good. That's what they're doing. In church, I, I, it, it could be in my pastorate here. Lord willing, I'd love, and I don't want to, whatever. It could be during my pastorate here, there may be a time where we will have to decide as a church, are we going to obey God or the government? And I want you to know we're going to obey God, okay? How does... How should we submit to government leaders? We do good. We do good. Second thing, we pay taxes. Some people think this is the great occasion that, that prompted Paul to write this because apparently there was this tension in the early church where people, that's why they, they tried to get Jesus in trouble. Like, answer the question, are you supposed to pay taxes? What's happening? Well, some think it actually ramped up after Jesus because now we are citizens as Christians of heaven, right? We're citizens of heaven more than we're citizens of Rome. The church was even saying that as they were placing themselves under government leaders. Well, if you're a citizen of heaven, well, I guess that means you don't have to pay taxes to Rome, huh? Just pay, yeah, you're a citizen of heaven. That's not what Paul teaches. Notice, by the way, he's going to tell them to pay taxes to a corrupt government, a government that was going to use their money to do bad things with, but he still told them to pay taxes. Interesting, but here's what he says. Verse six, for because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Imperative command, verse seven, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, that word specifically for taxes is the tribute tax at that point in time. Revenue, the next word here in the ESV is the customs tax. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. And I'm going to stop there because the next few words are going to imply something different than taxes. I don't know that I need to go long here. But y'all recognize that there are a lot of Christians that get in trouble for tax evasion. The Bible commands us to pay our taxes. Back up for just a second. He said in verse 5, Therefore one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Pay your taxes. <laughs> Jesus already gave you the story earlier, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Implied in that story from Jesus, again, your, your face is made in the likeness of God. Give your life to God. Pay the government the taxes. All right. How should we submit? How should we place ourselves under government leaders that God has put in their places? Do good, pay taxes, and then finally, and can I say most convictingly, and I wrestle with, and st still frankly, it's super hard for me to even understand how to preach this. And, what, what, and I don't care which side, if you want to pick sides you're on, you can pick the side that we're in now or the side that we were in a few years ago, whatever. Uh, there. There has been so much mudslinging 
from the mouth of Christians. Watch what he says. We are to pay, imperative command, not just taxes, we're to pay respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Frankly, as I read these words, I'm thinking, okay, surely, Paul, you don't really mean this. So I dug into what these words were. Uh, respect, that first word is the word phobeo. Anybody want to guess where we get the word? What is phobeo, you think? Uh, yeah, phobia, this is like fear word, like this, this reverent fear of the government leader. And then honor literally means to give words of value, esteem, or even reverence. Now, we don't worship the president. We have one person on the throne. We don't do that. We don't worship our political leaders in our community. But I would tell you there are a lot of Christians that through the last, yeah, all of my life, but it's ramped up the last six, eight years, words constantly of disrespect and dishonor. And I believe this is affecting our culture. Christians, we can teach people to use our mouths differently. Sebastian Junger, in a book that he wrote called Tribe on what's happening in our culture right now with the incredible divisions, says these words, people speak with incredible contempt about, depending on their views, either the rich, the poor, the educated, the foreign born, the president, or the entire US government. It's a level of contempt that is usually reserved for enemies in wartime, except now it is applied to our own fellow citizens. In the last few weeks, I've had conversations with people who, when, when they've told me, I've said, I actually, as you talk about it, I feel like you're saying that that other side, and frankly, these are two different conversations pointing fingers at the other side, is evil and actually wants to hurt people. And both of them said, I actually believe that they're evil and want to hurt people. On the other sides. Back to the Jim Dennison article I referred to earlier and the Kerry Newhoff article. A 2022 Pew Research report found that a majority of both party view, parties view members of the other party as, quote unquote, more immoral, dishonest, lazy, unintelligent, and closed-minded than other Americans. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to keep going here. Republicans and Democrats, can I say those words out loud? If you'd rather, donkeys and elephants, let's just make fun of each other, right? <laughs> donkeys and elephants are misinformed about members of the opposite party. Why? We're stuck in our own echo chambers. We are. In a perception survey published in the Journal of Politics, Republicans estimated that 36% of Democrats are atheists or agnostics. The real number? 9%. 38% Republicans think Democrats, 38% identify as gay, lesbian, or bisexual. The real number is 6%. On the other side, Democrats estimate that 44% of Republicans make over $250,000 a year. The real number is 98%. No. No. The, the, the real number is 2%. 2%. What's going on? 
Well, we're stuck in our echo chambers and our echo chambers are speaking really negative about the other side. Christians, we can use our mouths not to agree, but we can still pay respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. We can be part of the solution to the problem in our country. Why? Why? Because we know that we as Christians are a mess. Apart from Jesus, we're dead in our sin. We, if, if you want to use words that are negative words, talk about your past before Christ. What is it that we have? Life group leader in our church who this week interacted with me around this text, and I loved his words. He said, I, he think, he said, I think one of the problems is we've forgotten that we're part of the problem and that Christ is the solution. He said these words, we are all part of the problem. We are all sinners, and we have contributed to the decay of our civilization through sin. We want to believe that voting will save us, but our problem isn't political. It's just a symptom. Our problem is sin. What's the solution? Jesus. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? It's the Lion of Judah, not the next political leader. What do we do then? What do we do then? What do we do? We place ourselves under the government leaders. Why? That God has put them in their place. How do we do it? We do good. If they tell us to do bad, we're still going to do good. We do good, we pay our taxes, and we show honor. That's just what the Bible says. Did y'all see it? I don't like it, for the record. Pick one of those to take out. Actually, I'd love to take out, depends on the day, I'd love to take out all of them, right? What do we do? What do we do? Hey, maybe you think, hey, Paul just had a bad day. I want to take you to Titus chapter 3, and I'll, I'll close here. I'm just not on the screens. I didn't know really fully how I would close when we landed on this. But Titus chapter 3, if you want to turn there, Titus has just said the grace of God is what trains us as Christians to live different, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live upright and godly lives in this present age. It's the grace of Christ. When we have our eyes on Jesus, it's gonna, he's going to train us to live different. What happens when we have our eyes on Jesus and he's training us to live different? Titus chapter three, verse one. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good, again, good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle. Why? We're not trying to win arguments. We're trying to win people to Jesus. To show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish. Look, this is, we're the problem. We, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hating, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly 
through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Will you all pray with me real quick? Father, I pray that you'd help me right now to know how you want me to respond in the conversations that I have. Help me to know, God, how we are to lead in our community through this time right now. And these words are hard. They're really hard for me to read. They're hard for me to preach because I'm having a hard time practicing them. Uh, in, the, in the words of Tony Evans, we know that our hope does not ride on Air Force One. We know that. You reign above it all. You reign above it all. Over the universe, over every heart, there is no higher name. Jesus, you reign above it all. And God, I pray that we would function now in our relationship to politics. And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe for you it's the doing good. Maybe it's the paying taxes. Maybe it's showing honor. Which one of those things do you need to apply when you ask God how right now? Do you need to do good? Are you, is there something you're doing in disobedience to God? Do you need to pay your taxes? Do you need to show honor, specifically respect, value, esteem? Is there something you need to do around that? Ask God that as we sing that he's the one who reigns. Thank you for joining us today for Worship Online. If you're in our area, we want to invite you to come to physically connect to your local church. We would love to help you to live and love like Jesus alongside of others who are doing the same. If you're from outside of our area, can I challenge you to find a local church in your area that's going to preach the Bible and exalt Jesus? Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up to date with us. And thanks again for joining us.